Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. The title of the, the message this morning is The Power of Weakness. The Power of Weakness. And this morning we come... To a piece of scripture that is often quoted, it's often spoken of, it is uh, paramount of importance in the life of a believer, and I believe it's very important because this is a subject and a story that relates to every single person in the house this morning. Every person in this house can relate to this section of scripture, to this, this portion of Paul's life. Uh, in fact, if you can't relate to this section of Scripture in Paul's life, talking about the thorn in the flesh for Paul, talking about the time of weakness for Paul, talking about the time of trial in Paul's life. If you can't relate to that in your life at this moment, then just wait a minute, it's coming. Because everyone deals with trials. Everyone deals with thorns in the flesh. Everyone has things in their lives that cause them discomfort and cause them to turn to God. Everyone deals with turmoils. And so stand with me as we honor the reading of the holy and errant infallible word of our holy God from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 7 through 10. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness." Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let us pray. Father God, God, we ask that you would do what only you can do, and that's dwell among your people this morning, Lord Jesus. Stir inside of us something that only your Holy Spirit can stir, Lord, and that is conviction, and a desire to draw nearer to you, Lord God. Bind anything from this place that might take us away from true worship in spirit and in truth of you, holy God. And let not your word return void as you say it will not in your word, Lord. God, we thank you, we praise you, we give you the honor and the glory for what you're about to do, Lord God. And it's in your precious name that we pray, Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The other evening, I was watching a hunting show on television, and these hunters were navigating through a thicket. Many people know what a thicket is. Yeah, you can tell you're preaching in the country. Everybody knows what a thicket is. All right, so a thicket. These hunters were navigating through a thicket, and this thicket was just absolutely filled with those gnarly old thorn bushes, all right? Some people call them something, some people call them others. I call any plant that's got a thorn on it that sticks you in the leg an old thorn bush. I don't know, maybe there's different kinds. But it was just grabbing their britches and grabbing their shirts, and they were having to navigate really slowly. And as I watched them on that television show, I began to think back through my life so many times when I dealt with thorns myself. 
I was stacking chairs behind the building over here next door to the church, behind the parsonage. There were some chairs inside the house. I was stacking them back there, and I want to tell you that God's biggest thorn bush grows off of a tree back there behind that building. And it plucked my finger and stuck in my finger, and I thought about that when I watched those hunters is what they were walking through. And I couldn't help but dwell as I watched that, and I thought about my own experience with thorns, and I thought about the Apostle Paul in this writing from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I thought, how they relate to this writing from Paul, how the real thorns that, that these guys were navigating through. And the first thing I thought of is that thorns, they can be a source of hurt. Uh, if you've never had one of these thorns find its way into your finger or into your skin, then, then you don't know what I'm talking about and, and just don't go in the woods or it'll happen to you. But if you ever have experienced a thorn like that, you know what I'm saying when I say that they can bring about some hurt in your life. But they can also be a source of hindrance, right? So I'm watching these guys navigate through these thorns and they're not walking through the thicket the way that they walked through the field to get to the thicket. They're not making their way through there nearly as quick as they made it through. So the thorns had become a real source of hindrance to the people. But then something else happened. As they made it almost out of the thicket, the cameraman who was following along behind them caught something out of his eye and he flashes his camera over and there in the edge of this thicket is a, is a big toothy looking boar. I don't know exactly what a boar is, but this bad boy was big and he had teeth that were big and he looked mean and he sounded like he was angry or she sounded like she was angry. And so the hunters determined that they must be near an area where her babies were and she was coming out to protect her babies. But she came to the edge of the thicket and they were in the thicket and she didn't come into it. And they determined when they got to the other side that it was quite possible that that thicket of nasty thorns was what kept that boar from rushing them. Now I know that we don't know for sure whether that's fact or not. But I thought about it in relation to Paul and how he would look at the thorn in his flesh by the time he gets to the end. I think Paul would say something like, Amen, brother. The thorns can be hurtful. The thorns can be a hindrance. But sometimes God sends those thorns that they would be helpful for us if we learn to look at them with the proper perspective. And so this morning as we go through our text, I think we're going to try to see that Paul moves in a place in this text that we all need to learn to move through and that is from the place where we view the thorn as hurtful to the place where we can view the thorn as helpful and it's not a simple journey it's not an easy journey in our lives but let's look at Paul and how he goes through this look at with me at verse 7 the first thing we're going to see is the reality of the trial the reality of the thorn he said unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelation a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Paul doesn't mince his words here, does he? He, he doesn't hide the meaning to a tricky interpretation. Uh, he, he doesn't try to, to hide it. He doesn't try to church it up. He doesn't try to make it feel better. Here we have what is quite possibly the strongest Christian to walk on this earth after Jesus Christ. We have who is quite possibly the most powerful preacher to have ever drawn breath. We have what is most definitely the most successful missionary to have ever gone forth and preached the word of God. Here we have the apostle 
Apostle Paul, the one that many of us would strive to say, oh, that my ministry would be like the Apostle Paul's ministry. He is right where he is supposed to be. He is doing what he is supposed to be doing. He is not living in sin. He is not living in a state of rebellion. He is being obedient to God's call on his life. He's preaching where he's supposed to preach, teaching where he's supposed to teach, praying when he's supposed to pray, praying when he doesn't think he's supposed to pray, living his life in obedience to God. And yet, out of left field, like a brick wall smacking him in the face, comes a thorn in his flesh, comes a trial his way. You see, if we aren't careful, we forget that trials aren't just to pull us out of rebellion. Trials aren't just to show us we're living in sin. Sometimes trials hit us out of nowhere and we can get sidetracked with those and, and we can get busy trying to figure out why our rebellion has drawn it to us. And sometimes I feel like God does smack us in the face. We're in a place of rebellion with something to draw us back to Him. But sometimes He puts a thorn in our flesh that we might still draw nearer to Him yet. And that's where Paul's at here. He's living in obedience. He's doing what he's supposed to do. And he gets hit with this thorn in the flesh. And so let's look at the thorn just a little bit. We don't get a ton of specifics about the nature and the content and exactly what this thorn in the flesh is. But there is no lack of opinions from scholars of the world as to what it may be. One popular opinion is that Paul's thorn in the flesh was his poor eyesight. And there is some evidence in Scripture that Paul struggled with this affliction. Many of you can relate to this affliction. Many of you... You used to come to church and you only put on your reading glasses when you had your small print Bible, but sometimes you brought your large print Bible so you didn't have to have your glasses, but now you have to have your large print Bible and your glasses. So you can relate to the poor eyesight that Paul might have been dealing with. And maybe that was his thorn in his flesh. There is some evidence that Paul struggled with poor eyesight. One of those is that he usually used a scribe or a secretary of sorts to pencil all of his letters. Paul very rarely wrote his own letters. Usually, someone else would write them for them, and he would put some kind of language in there to let them know that this is from me. He would talk about someone specific that was in the area that only he would know. But in the letter to the Galatians, he pins that one himself, and he mentions, I believe it's in chapter 6, he mentions to the Galatians that I am writing in very large print to you. And many people would suggest that the reason that he was writing in large print to the Galatians was, was not the, the first, uh, you know, what we call it, the first angry caps and text messages. This was just Paul wrote big because he couldn't see good. And that was the only way he could see what he was writing to the Galatians. So perhaps the thorn in the flesh was indeed poor eyesight. Other scholars would say that the evidence would be that as Paul neared this time in his life, that he began to have seizures or migraines or some other kind of physical ailment that would, that would hold him down for a period of time. Any of you that have ever had a migraine headache, uh, you know what I'm talking about. It seems to be crippling, it's debilitating, it takes you to the bed and you just can't do anything. A seizure that causes you to go into convulsions and, and space out for a little bit. They said Paul had some type of condition physically. It wasn't his eyesight, it was his physical condition that was holding him to the bed and holding him debilitated. And that's what his thorn in the flesh was, that he couldn't go and do his work and he couldn't write his letters because of his conditions. Other scholars here would suggest that Paul is actually talking of a person who is the thorn in his flesh. A person. Now don't you look at your spouse when I ask you if you understand what I'm saying when I say that sometimes a person can be a thorn in your flesh. 
particularly men, don't look over. A troubled marriage, a rebellious child, a strained friendship, a bad co-worker. We have situations in our life all the time where people become the thorns in our flesh. In fact, the text suggests with the word that it uses in there of torment, uh, some, some texts use buffet, the New King James uses buffet, this to buffet me. That word usually is used to describe an affliction that is brought on by another person. And so the, the text actually even maybe suggests that Paul's saying, this thorn in my flesh that's brought on, this torment, this, this thing that's brought on by someone else. And so perhaps this thorn for Paul is a person. Perhaps it's an illness. Perhaps it's an eyesight. But can I just suggest to you something this morning? Because sometimes we get so busy trying to see what ain't there that we get lost and miss what is there. I believe that the obscurity of the thorn is divine by the Holy Spirit. Because can I just tell you something this morning? If you're losing sleep at night, if you're struggling in your faith, if you're tossing and turning, if you don't know where to turn to, if you don't know where your next help comes from, if you don't know where your strength is coming from to take your next breath, if you are dealing with a thorn in the flesh, it really just flat doesn't matter where it's coming from, does it? The source of it is not all that important. It really doesn't matter when you're in the trial where it comes from. And I think that's part of the reason that we have an obscurity here in this thorn is that we would all be able to look at it and go, it could be any number of things in my life that cause me to wonder. There could be any number of things in my life that cause me great pain. It could be any number of things in my life that cause me distress. But the fact of the matter is they're all a thorn in my flesh. Every single one of them in some way are a thorn in my flesh. This word for thorn uh, is more often translated as stake. And I don't mean a ribeye or a T-bone. I mean a great big Roman stake. More like a tent stake. A stake that would be used to hold a cross together perhaps. And so this is not some small problem that Paul is talking about. He's not talking about some small festering wound. He is talking about a storm. And quite frankly this morning, let us realize the source of the storm is not nearly as important as the commander of the winds. That's what we have to get. We have to realize that the source of the thorn, Paul says in verse 7, the source of the storm, I want us to look at this because he says what? The the thorn in the flesh was given to me, but first he says that I wouldn't be exalted above measure. He says the source of the thorn, it's to keep me humble. It's to keep me from being too proud. We have to realize that this thorn in Paul's flesh was divinely given to him by God. Now many people would say, well, wait a minute, preacher. It turns around after it says, it says a messenger of Satan. So it must have been a satanic force. It couldn't have been a godly force. Friends, this may have been a satanic messenger. But this satanic messenger was merely a pawn in the hands of a sovereign God. What would Satan gain from causing a preacher of God to become more humble? He says, this thorn was given to him that I would not be exalted above measure. Satan would have nothing to gain from making us more humble as believers. He wouldn't send us a thorn to bring us back to Christ, would he? He would have nothing to gain in that. And so, so Christ, if this is a messenger from Satan in the personal form or in some affliction or whatever it is, it, it has come to Paul for the purpose of humbling him and keeping him from, from thinking more of himself than he should. You say, well, preacher, you're going off the deep end a little bit here. 
God wouldn't use a satanic force to do his work. But the Bible says that Satan entered into Judas Iscariot and he went out and betrayed Christ, which would lead to his arrest and ultimately his death on the cross of Calvary, ultimately his resurrection, ultimately the price that he paid for our sins was begun by the betrayal of Judas Iscariot when a satanic force entered into him. And so I would say to you that that God, who is sovereign and above all things, can use a satanic force to bring about good for his believers and could very well be the one that has sent this thorn into Paul's flesh. Theologian Alan Redpath writes that as believers, if a trial comes against me, it has come past God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if it has come that far, it must have a divine purpose. A divine purpose. We can't get lost when we have these thorns and we have these trials and trying to figure out so much about where they come from or or who sent them or what sent them or anything else. The the fact of the matter is it's more important that we focus on what is the purpose of this thorn? What is the purpose of this trial? What, What is the divine thing that is being accomplished through this trial that we're dealing with? And one of the things that we see in Paul's life, we see in verse 8. He says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Some texts would say, I implored the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Paul was so moved by this thorn in his flesh that he found his way to his knees and he prayed that God would remove it for him. Paul needed to be humbled to his knees for some reason in this experience. He said, well, Brother Jason, you said... You said this trial was to refine me. You said that this trial was to draw me nearer to God. You said this trial was to divinely do something for the kingdom of God. This trial was to glorify God. So so why, why would I pray that God would remove it? Why does Paul pray that God would remove it if it had a divine purpose? Am I doing wrong if I pray that God would remove this thorn? But can I just say to you this morning to remember our ultimate example, Christ Jesus, as he knelt at the foot of an olive tree in a garden called Gethsemane in a time of the greatest agony that this world has ever seen, getting ready to go to a cross and knowing what he was going for. And what did Jesus pray to his heavenly Father? If this cup can pass from me in any other way, Let it be done. In his time of agony, Jesus said, if there's any other way, God, that your divine purpose, Father, can be done, let it be done. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. It's not wrong in our times of trials to look to God, to turn to God in prayer and say, God, if there is any other way that you can accomplish your divine purpose. If there's any other way that you can do what it is that you're doing here, God, let it happen. God, take it away from me. God, I don't want this rebellious child. God, I don't want this loveless relationship. God, I don't want this struggle in my workplace. God, I don't want this sickness. God, I don't want this sadness. God, I don't don't want... Whatever it is, it's okay to bow before a holy God and say, God, I don't 
want this trial anymore. God, I don't want this thorn anymore. God, I don't want to feel this hurt anymore. God, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. So first we see the reality of the trial. But second, let's look at the revelation of the truth. Because to this point, the only person doing the talking and the only person we see here is Paul. At least two other times, he says he's prayed three times. He's prayed, and, and so we know that at least two times nothing happened. He prayed, God, remove this thorn. God, take this thorn, and, and, and he didn't hear anything back. But suddenly after this third prayer, Paul has prayed, implored the Lord that this thorn would depart for him. And suddenly the heavens open up, and God responds to Paul's prayer. And it's something miraculous when you really wrap it up as to how God responds to Paul's prayer. Basically, the God of heaven, upon hearing the Apostle Paul pray that the thorn in the flesh would be removed, opens up the heavens and speaks an amazing phrase. And that phrase could be deduced to this. No. Paul says, God, remove this thorn. God says, no. He reveals a few things to us in his no, but ultimately God says to Paul, no. Look with me at the beginning of verse 9. And he said to me, let's just stop right there for a moment. He said to me, folks, can I just say this right quick? It is an overwhelming expression of the grace of God that he would say anything to us at all. It is an amazing expression to the goodness of our holy God that he would hear our prayers and ever respond to our prayers in any way whatsoever. You know, we've all experienced that moment where... We meet someone or run into someone, and they just don't talk to us. I can think of in a previous career, uh, oftentimes I would have to go shake people's hands who I didn't really know. And I would have to go up. And there was more than one occasion where I would go and I'd introduce myself to someone and I'd shake their hand and their countenance and their thought process and everything about that handshake said, I don't want to talk to you. I don't have any desire to speak to you right now. And I would always walk away from that and I would go something like this. If they only knew me, of course they'd want to talk to me. Do I have a witness in the house? Anybody ever dealt with that themselves? Ever walk away from something and said, if they only knew me, they'd want to talk to me. If they only knew me, they would speak to me. And we think that it is just mind-boggling that someone that doesn't even know me would already decide that they don't want to talk to me. Can I just tell you something? We should be way less floored when a sinful person that doesn't know us chooses not to talk to us than we are when a holy God who knows me better than I know myself whom I have offended with every breath since birth with my sinful nature, 
When a holy God who knows all of my choices, when a holy God who who has seen me from birth, who has seen all the things that I didn't do that I was supposed to do, who has seen me decide to do the things that I wasn't supposed to do, it, it should not be boggling to me that a sinful person wouldn't talk to me, but it should be more mind boggling to me that a holy God would talk to me. We should stand in awe of the majesty that God would even speak to us. Do you realize that we have offended Him with every moment of our life since birth with our sinful nature? And yet, and yet, He says to us. He still hears from us. He speaks to us. And you see, the problem often comes when we say, God hasn't spoken to us. The reality is we know deep down that He did, and we just didn't like what He said. Amen? Make sure you're awake. You know, with my kids, I can stand in the kitchen and holler with a voice. If this microphone dies, you guys will still be able to hear me in the back, so I speak loudly. And I can be in the kitchen, my kids be in their bedroom, and I can shout out with a voice and say, Come on guys, it's time to sweep the floor and do some chores. And did you know that my children suddenly become deaf, blind, and mute? (laughs) Come on guys, mama be home from work in a minute, the floor is nasty, I don't want to get in trouble, I need your help. And then I get back there and I beat on the door and I I said, why have you not come? I said, I didn't hear you. But did you know that that same group of kids can hear me open the cellophane wrapper of a candy bar? (laughs) And from the same bedroom come running wide open and eat every bite of it before I get a sniff. You see, sometimes we're like that, aren't we? God speaks to us. But we don't like what he has to say. We say, God, take this thorn out of our flesh. And he says, no. He said, I don't think I heard you, God. God, I said, please take this thorn out of my flesh. God says, oh, you heard me right. I said, No. <coughs> God says, this thorn is fulfilling a greater purpose for you than you can understand. And it will not be removed. I will not take it from you. See, Paul here prays to God. And he essentially says, God, I'm overwhelmed. God, I don't think I can take it anymore, God. I'm at the end of my rope. God, this thing's driving me crazy. It's keeping me from preaching. It's keeping me from serving. It's keeping me from teaching. It's keeping me from worshiping. It's keeping me from doing all the things that I'm supposed to do to serve you. God, I'm overwhelmed. And God seems to speak down to Paul and say, boy, you are. But you're also overruled. The thorn will stay. But what else does he say? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. I don't want to offend anyone in the house this morning. But can I just tell you 
if you're going through a trial right now, if you're in a storm right now, if you've got a thorn in your flesh right now, you don't need a 12-step program. You don't need the next self-help seminar. You don't need uh, the greatest sermon series from the greatest preachers that ever lived. You don't need any of those things. As helpful as some of those things can be, I'm not saying don't ever use those things, but those aren't what you need. You need the grace of Jesus. That's what you need because that is the only thing that is sufficient for you. Nothing made by man, nothing of this world is going to be good enough apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. You see what happens when we get to the place where we've got nothing to grab onto but the grace of Jesus? That's when he says, I'm not going to take this storm from your path. He told Paul, he said, no, I'm not going to take this storm from you, but I will help you through it. I'm not going to leave you alone. God's word says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He said, I'm not going to make you go through these thorns alone. I'm not going to make you go through this storm all by yourself. If you'll just turn to me and realize that my grace is all you have, it's going to be sufficient to carry you through. When we cry out to Christ in the song, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. God might call back down to us and say something like, I'm with thee, oh, I'm with thee. Every hour, I'm with thee. My grace is sufficient for you. What else does he say, though, really quickly? He says, my grace is sufficient, and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, Paul, if if you want to do this on your own, you go ahead. But... If you'll realize and recognize that you're too weak to make it through, then my power will be enough to deliver you. The word for power or strength there is where we get that word dynamo. We get the word dynamic or amazing in terms of power. And what God is saying is my power is that dynamic power that's above anything you understand. No, you can't get through it. But my power is made perfect in your weakness. And finally, as we close this morning, I want us to look at the resulting transformation. God speaks, and then look at Paul's response in verse 9. I think this is amazing. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And then now Paul speaks back, and he says, Therefore, most gladly, I'll rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ would rest upon me. Paul's response to God is, I will gladly boast that I have these problems in my life. Can I just point out something to you? Nothing situationally has changed in Paul's life from verse 8 where he pleaded for God to remove the thorn and verse 9 when he says, I'm going to boast in it. Nothing changed situationally for Paul. Paul is still standing with the same thorn in his flesh If it was a person, the person hasn't been moved. If it was a sickness, the sickness hasn't been healed. If it was eyesight, the glasses have not been delivered. Whatever the infirmity was, Paul still had it. Nothing changed, and yet something changed spiritually for Paul, though. He went from saying, God, please remove this thorn, to saying, God, thank you for this thorn. Now that don't make no sense, does it? God... Thank you for this situation in my life. 
It don't make no sense. Unless you look at it from this context. Unless you get to where Paul spiritually is looking at it. And what does he say? He says, I heard from God and I trusted God. Because that's the only way that you get to this point. Is not only to hear from God, but to give it to God. He says, I hear you, God. You're not going to take it away. Your strength is made perfect in my weakness. I'm going to give my weakness to you, God. I'm going to let you have it. And why does he say he's glad? What's he say at the end of that verse? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. I want you to think about the magnitude of that statement. He says, essentially, Paul says, I'm going to thank God for this thorn in my flesh. Because if it weren't for this thorn in my flesh, I wouldn't understand how powerful my God is. Think about that. If it weren't for this problem that I'm dealing with, I would never have the faith to understand the power of God to see me through this situation. Paul is saying, and we need to say this too, If you don't ever have the struggles, if you don't ever have the pains, if you don't ever have the thorns, you can get too used to planning it out yourself and having it go the way you planned it. And when you plan things out yourself and have them go the way you planned them, and when you run upon problems, you're able to fix them yourself, you begin to have this sense of pride that comes into your life. That says, I know what's best for me. I know how to get through this. But every once in a while, that thorn in our flesh is given that we might realize that I don't know. That I can't. That I don't have the strength. I don't have the power. And when we get in those storms and we put our faith in God, that's when his power comes upon us. And we realize that there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus, to break every chain. To break every chain. Break every chain. What do you mean, preacher? I mean, when you have struggles that are beyond your human understanding and capability, that is when God is most magnified in your life. Having faith when everything's going good, that's a good thing, but anybody can do that. But having faith when things are going poorly, having faith when you don't understand, that's when your faith is really put to the test, and that's where your God is really put on display. Christ is glorified in such a mighty way in storms when we only give it to him. Because you see, not only does Paul recognize the power of Christ in his own life, but But part of what goes with that is when we turn it over to God and when we say to God, I can't and I don't know how. The world that is looking on says, how are they making it through this? How are they dealing with this? And then they realize that it's only by their faith in Christ. And what a glorification of the Father. What a glorification of the Father. When people look on and say, this should cripple them. And yet, they hold their head up. And they say, it's because I gave it to God that I'm able to get through this. It's where we learn to say, 
God, I was created to glorify you, and I don't know how that this glorifies you, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. You see, the things about our thorns is that they are very real and that they are very painful and that they are very much a hindrance. But in them they are helpful in that God is revealed to us in a way that we cannot understand apart from those storms. We cannot grasp God in the way that we can in a storm when we haven't been through it without something to bring us to our weakest point. So in closing, I ask you to consider something with me this morning. If you're in a storm, you know somebody in a storm, you've ever been in a storm, or you think you might go through a storm, I ask you to consider this for me. The Apostle Paul went from a place where he said, God, take it away from me, to a place where he said, God, I'm glad I've got it. And he did it in a time of prayer. Which tells me that at some point in time in Paul's prayer, he heard from heaven, and he said, God, I'm going to give it to you because your grace is sufficient. Somebody in the house this morning needs to turn to God. And I promise you that His grace is sufficient. Maybe you need to pray for someone else that they would be able to recognize that His grace is sufficient for them in this situation. Whatever it is, and I pray that you would find your way to your knees this morning. And that you would give it to God and that you would rise up with a resulting transformation that gives you a whole new outlook on your trial. But maybe you're here, you've never accepted Christ, you've never had anybody to depend on for your trials. You've never had anybody to, to turn to in your weakness. Would you come this morning and accept the Jesus whose grace is not only sufficient for your trials, but is sufficient for your sins this morning? Let us pray. Father God, Lord, we stand before you. God, we are broken. God, simply put, we're broken. God, we don't know how sometimes to give you our trials. But your word says that your grace is sufficient. And your power is perfected in our weakness. God, your word also says that your spirit hears our groanings. And so, Lord, even when we don't know how to pray, Lord God, call your people to prayer. That if we don't know what to say, we would merely bow and just say Jesus over and over again. Because sometimes that's all we have, God. God, that you would be glorified somehow in our trials, Lord Jesus, that we would recognize that our ultimate purpose is to worship and adore and glorify you, God. And that you would fulfill that purpose in our lives and we would learn to pray, not my will, God, but thine. God, if someone here doesn't know you, and I don't know how they get up every morning, not knowing you, Jesus, I pray that you would convict them and move upon them that they would turn to you this very moment. And it's in your precious healing name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org.